Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What is going on, fam? Episode 82 for the love of the game. We are back. I've been paying attention to what's going on out there, man. Yep. I've been watching you still on my ways. Uh-huh. And it's getting out of control now. Out of control. I'm going to tell you dudes just like I tell my women. Listen, don't watch me. Watch TV. This is pay-per-view. You got to pay for this. Hey. First, let me take time to brush my shoulders off. Wait. I had to dust my shoulders off. Thank you. I've been waiting, been patient, been anxious. Now I'm here for bring back me. Your greatness. Yes. The rap I leave, jab I weave. Then come back with the same jab times three. I blow smoke to the heaven. I'm so close to perfection. Rats one big casino. I'm plotting Ocean Eleven. I might have sold the least, but I still managed to be most feared by most MCs. Good. Who holding me? Who close to me? For sure, Bobby. Nobody. Yeah, that's how it's supposed to be. Now listen, you can either comprehend it or compliment it. It's all authentic. Yup. But you better believe whatever I say. Guess what? You can bet it all. I meant it. Feels extra good to be back today. And let me tell you, sports fans, we have survived. You've made it through the dark times. From March 17th or so till now, we were searching for something to fill the void that sports uh, was gone. For me, it was a combo of The Last Dance, The Sopranos, various movies, All American on Netflix, and dominating TikTok dance videos. Uh, another one is coming once I, uh, I'm off the DL with this ankle injury. And yeah, while all those things have been great, this week, sports are back. Yeah, I know soccer, golf, and the UFC have been back, but the NBA kicks off his exhibition games today. Actually got a chance to peep in uh, a little bit to the uh, to the Clippers and the Magic. Um, Major League Baseball's regular season starts tomorrow, and the NHL's playoffs start August 1st. We are back, and I am stoked, as well as all of you who are uh, who are been waiting so long for sports to get back. A little bit of normalcy is good. Got a packed show tonight. I'm uh, going to talk uh, to uh, the NBA's Phil Bousk, one of my recurring guests, one of my best recurring guests, about the NBA's bubble in Orlando and how wildly successful it's been so far. The latest round of testing for uh, COVID-19 at the NBA bubble, over 340-something tests, zero positive tests, zero, which is amazing, really, really amazing if you think about it. And yeah, early on, the food didn't look great at the bubble. The players made their jokes, but since the first two days or so of bubble life, and I know it must be really hard for the players, especially with uh, you know the players with families to be away for that long, but the bubble looks like an awesome time, to be totally honest. So kudos to the NBA for pulling this off. All steams ahead when it comes to the NBA. And big shout out to the NBA bubble Twitter handle for their amazing behind-the-scenes content, and to JaVale McGee for his YouTube stuff that he's doing. Just amazing stuff for us NBA fans to consume. Can't wait till the real games actually start August 31st. Tonight's show will also feature a first-time guest to talk Little Yankees as they kick off their season tomorrow night in Washington, D.C., Garrett Cole versus Max Scherzer. I'll be watching. It's kind of crazy that I went from legit thinking that baseball was never going to happen this season. It wasn't going to happen at all to opening day basically being here. 
I even peeped into a few of the exhibition games against the Mets to see what the viewing experience would be like without fans. Uh, also, shout out to those fans who paid for uh, cutouts at City Field, the cardboard cutouts. Stu Finer, Uncle Stu, I see you over there in the first row. Viva the stool, as always. And yeah, it's weird to see the empty stadium, but hey, the sport looks the same on the field, so I really don't care. The sport looks the same on the field. Uh, all things seem to be a go for Major League Baseball. While the NBA and baseball and the NHL seem to have figured things out with respect to dealing with COVID-19, the NFL, well, it seems, has yet to figure out protocols uh, which could delay the start of the season, pushback, training camp and such. Now, the NFL has been lucky this entire time that because of the nature of their calendar, that they haven't really had to deal with this except for uh, doing a virtual draft. But you would think, with all the time off in their offseason, that they'd be proactive in figuring things out and not procrastinating and then getting shamed on Twitter for not having certain protocols in place or, cert or having an idea, that they didn't need to be shamed on Twitter by their players to kick things into high gear a little bit. I don't know. Just a thought. Well, that's not the only public perception problem the NFL has had. And yes, you know my brand. I am all about positive vibes only, and I am so happy to, that sports are back. But got to bring this up because a lot has happened since the last episode. I think you all know where I'm going with this. Uh, so, yeah, by now you all have seen what Deshaun Jackson posted on Instagram. He thought he was quoting Adolf Hitler, uh, which is not a good idea in general to quote Hitler. Uh, turns out it was a quote by Louis Farrakhan, another raging anti-Semite. Not great. That then prompted Steven Jackson, former NBA player, to step in and quote-unquote back him up, who then, after he got dragged on Twitter, uh, went on CNN uh, with Don Lemon, did an interview there, and Don Lemon absolutely crucified him, which frankly I didn't see coming, but that's really for another time. Just, uh, just wonderful. Nick Cannon then went on a podcast spewing some anti-Semitic shit, gets fired from Viacom, which prompts Dwayne Wade to tweet support for Nick Cannon. Dwayne Wade then gets ragdolled on Twitter, realized what he did, and then backtracks real fast. Yeah, it was a heavy week uh, for Jew Hayden over the last couple of days. And to be clear, anti-Semitism is bad. But this rant that I'm about to go on isn't really about anti-Semitism per se, because that's been in existence for a long before I've been alive. It's about the hypocrisy in sports and sports media, which is astounding. As a Jew... I know that there are people who hate me for the sole fact that I'm Jewish. That's been going on for hundreds of years, as I said before I was born. And sadly, I don't think it's changing anytime soon. I, and I've come to accept that. But what I have a major problem with, a major, major problem with, is the double standard that has gone on in sports and in the media when talking about this. Now, many athletes, past and present, have come out against anti-Semitism. Zach Banner, the offensive lineman for the Steelers, said something beautiful and has been, you know, on a great Twitter um, streak in terms of bringing awareness to anti-Semitism and, and how, uh, you know, he's he's been very pro, um, you know, pro-Jews for, for lack of a better term. He uh, tried some challah on Twitter. He's been working on his foundation that combats bigotry of all kinds. He just seems to be a mensch. Julian Edelman had a beautiful message on Instagram. Chris Long, Charles Barkley, Mitchell Schwartz, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar wrote a great piece regarding anti-Semitism and the problems. That's just naming a few. Media members such as sports writers have also come out and written pieces about anti-Semitism too and the problems that it causes. Uh, the list includes Mitch Album, 
LZ Granderson, Jamel Hill, even though hers was completely self-serving and very on brand for her. But hey, I guess I'll take it. Clay Travis and others. But there has been almost nothing from the NBA and nothing from the NFL commissioner's office and Roger Goodell. And that's where the problem lies. So let's start with Roger Goodell. Really, my man? No public statement of any kind, even if it's a generic post or a press release? Nothing? When it was your current player who brought this to light? Just silence? But hey, he made a comment about racism towards black people, which, by the way, is great because racists... Racism against black people is objectively bad, too. But I thought all forms of bigotry are equally bad. Are they not created equal? Well, I guess not, according to Roger Goodell, it seems. Uh, but he's not the only hypocrite when it comes to the NFL. Let's look at the players. Let's compare and contrast what happened to Drew Brees, who made a, uh, a statement and comments about standing for the national anthem and gets crucified for it, basically calling him a racist. That was the reaction of most NFL players and the NFL family. Again, this isn't a national anthem, political debate here. But when one of their own outwardly posts anti-Semitic remarks, which is a definite form of bigotry, Drew Brees' comments were not a form of bigotry, the players are all of a sudden silent. Hypocrisy at its finest. But it's not just the NFL. Let's go to the NBA. Adam Silver, a member of the tribe. Where was your public statement condemning anti-Semitism? Guess what? I'm still waiting for it. A lot of people are still waiting for it. The NBA has made its brand to be the socially conscious league, a league that highlights all social issues, but oddly silent when it comes to anti-Semitism. It's kind of weird. They have no problems putting Black Lives Matter on the court in Orlando, but can't make a simple statement regarding hatred towards Jews. Also, it's important to distinguish between the actual phrase Black Lives Matter and what has become the BLM trademark, per se. Black Lives Matter trademark is extremely problematic. Uh, as Marcellus Wiley has pointed out many a times, you can find him explaining just the reasons why online. Uh, look it up. Uh, and I'm not really here for this conversation. Uh, that's for another time, another podcast. I'm just framing context here, comparing and contrasting. So, yeah, the league that has, again, branded itself as the socially conscious league, all of a sudden has nothing to say regarding the atrocities in China. By the way, one of the biggest uh, NBA partners. We saw this when uh, Missouri Senator Josh Hawley pointed this out to the NBA, sent an email to the league and the media about the double standard between, you know, highlighting Black Lives Matter versus other topics, such as uh, the support for the police. And then what happens? Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN just replies, fuck you to that email. The tolerant left is at it again. Yeah, it's not just about anti-Semitism. It seems that uh, the NBA doesn't care about what's going on in China either. I don't know. It seems to me that according to the NBA, not all bigotry and atrocities are created equal. Pretty hypocritical to brand yourself as the socially conscious league that cares about all different types of bigotry. I mean, I love Adam Silver. He's been great for the NBA, but his ass needs to be taken to task here. And spare me the argument, a friend of mine made this to me, spare me the argument that Steven Jackson, the former NBA player, well, the NBA doesn't need to make a public statement because he's not a current player. That's horseshit because he's the NBA family, okay? 
the NBA does a great job of including its past and former players in everything they do. He's part of the NBA family. The NBA family should make a statement. That argument that he's not a current player is garbage. But it's not just Adam Silver. It's the players, too. So let's start with the number one fraud, LeBron James, who has numerously been quoted and tweeted the Martin Luther King quote that says, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Yet when it comes to China and anti-Semitism, you get nothing from LeBron. Actually, that's not necessarily true. Because when it comes to China, when Daryl Morey tweets out support for Hong Kong and the atrocities that are going on in China against uh, the people of Hong Kong, LeBron James responds that Daryl Morey doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah, the guy who's extremely educated and has had dealings with China isn't educated on the matter. Yeah, okay, buddy. LeBron fancies himself as the modern-day Muhammad Ali. I guess injustice anywhere doesn't really mean that it's a threat to justice everywhere, according to LeBron. Uh, he's a phony and a fraud, uh, just looking out for his own best interests, which is fine, but then br don't brand yourself as some type of humanitarian who's looking out for injustice everywhere. But it's not just him. Steph Curry, Chris Paul, where are you guys at? Awfully silent now. It's hypocrisy at its finest. Oh, and let, don't get me started on Mark Cuban, that pandering jerk-off. If you've seen him on Twitter recently, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. He's just as bad, if not worse, at, in terms of being a hypocrite. But let's not forget about sports media, too. The Ringer's Bill Simmons was just acquired, as I mentioned before, by um, Spotify, Mr. White Knight. No comment on Steven Jackson or Deshaun Jackson's comments. I thought you just said how you wanted to use your platform to bring awareness. I guess it's only one type of bigotry that warrants awareness these days. I guess, you know, your buddy Matthew Berry, who's been on your podcast, a Jewish guy, isn't as important to you as Steven Jackson, who was on your podcast. Hypocrite. Oh, and let oh, and it's not just Bill Simmons. Can't forget about this guy, PFD commenter from Barstool. Another pandering white knight type. Where's the long blog on anti-Semitism, buddy? It's not like your boss or your partner, pardon my take, are Jewish. I guess it's still in the works. I'm waiting to see. And this goes for all the social justice warriors in the media out there. From Woj at ESPN to Peter King to Mike Florio. They're all a bunch of phonies and frauds and hypocrites. And again, my point is to make myself extremely clear. All types of bigotry and hatred are bad. All people should be able to live peaceful lives equally and have equal rights. When bigotry is brought to light, it should be shunned equally, whether that's the George Floyd or Breonna Taylor situations or, um, you know, sadly, or a shooting in Pittsburgh uh, at the Tree of Life Synagogue. Anything, for that matter, against any race or any type of people should be uh, brought to light equally. But that hasn't happened here, and that's wrong. It's just hypocrisy at its finest. I, I, I can't say it any better than that. And making that point doesn't make you a racist, as some social justice warriors on Twitter will make you believe. It just makes you someone who truly believes that everybody's life matters. Now, I hope to never have this type of rant again on my podcast. I believe sports bring a sense of normalcy and are welcome distractions at times. And that starts again this week, and I can't wait. With that said, let's talk to my buddy Phil Bask about the NBA bubble in just a second. 
Okay, uh, it is my pleasure to bring on one of my favorite recurring guests, one of my best recurring guests. He works at the NBA, Mr. Phil Bousk. Got to talk about the bubble and the success uh, of the bubble so far. Phil, how are you holding up? Good, good. Uh, as I'm sure you know, scrimmage has started today and people are very yes. excited. And it actually doesn't look bad, but we'll talk about it later, I'm sure. But it's uh, it's interesting. It's very, it's great and a little weird to have some sports back on TV. Uh, I turned it on for a little bit. I, I tuned it. I wanted to see what the aesthetics were. Um, overall, I thought the camera angles looked good. I, I didn't think that anything was really missing in terms of uh, not having a crowd. I think they did a good job of of spacing out seats so it looks a little bit more full than it is. But yeah, I mean, it is awesome to be back. Just awesome. Yeah. No, I mean, even though there are scrimmages, like uh, games don't matter. It's all going to be so much better when the games start about a week from now when playoffs are on the line and we're going to see how these teams look. You know, if you get, you get a nice, as a Celtics fan, you get the Celtics looking good going into the, this, whatever, this postseason. I, I have faith they could win it all. You know, you never know. This is the, this is the chance for them. So uh, let's, let's start things off. I want to start with the, um, the real positive news uh, that Shams tweeted out uh, since July 13th. Uh, that was two weeks after, just to, to frame it for everybody, so that was two weeks after the initial report about the first batch of tests, uh, that there were two positive tests of the 322 tests. And now, after two weeks, no positive tests. Zero in the entire uh, bubble, per se. And obviously, you know, you hope there aren't, you know, false, false, neg I should say, uh, false negatives, whatever, but... Mm -hmm. How ecstatic is the league office when those results came in? Oh, they're, you know, we're very happy about it. How could you not be? Uh, like, I don't think we expected to have zero tests this early on. But keep in mind, it is only tests for players. So there could be staff, um, Disney staff, NBA staff. Uh, you know, those numbers are going to be private because it's mm -hmm. not our employees. Not Disney employees aren't our employees, so we're not going to release any of that information. But the fact that the sense. players who are essentially on their own don't have limited contact with other employees. I mean, this is great news. I mean, it's, there will be cases that come up. I, I can't imagine we're looking clean from here on out, but hopefully it's minimal two or three every time there's like, there's a testing and uh, those guys, whoever have it are, don't go near anyone. And it's going to be, it's definitely a great sign. The league is still very happy about it. It's been a good couple of days for us. I, I mean, I can't imagine that they thought that this initiative was going to go as smoothly as it has so far. Uh, we had an idea that it would go well. Um, you know, it had its bumps. These all the players tweeting out pictures of their food the first night. You know, uh, it didn't look well, great. Well, it didn't make, well, again, didn't make well, the players look great. Yeah, we'll get into but that in a had, second. It had their bumps, but like uh, it had it had its bumps, and there's still logistical stuff being figured out down there um, in terms of media being tier one, tier two, and a lot of things like that, but it's, it's getting figured out and we're very, we're very good on our toes. So it's a really a credit to the PR staff and a lot of the events and operations staffs for being able to pull this off as, as well as it has been. It's like, it's better than I thought it would be at least. <laughs> so in, in terms of protocols, given the, um, the, the negative tests and, and you did mention that it's just players that wasn't staff. Well, will things loosen up in terms of protocols now, or is it just are they going to keep it this way just so that there are no um, no hiccups? My understanding is that things are going to stay the same. I mean, we 
it could depend on pushback from players that are down there, but I don't think they will if they see a tangible result of no one getting sick, no one having to miss games and all that. Like, I think there's no reason to take the protocols to loosen any of the restrictions because they're pretty free down there in terms of what they can do. You know, especially like uh, in terms of their free time, they're seeing big movies. They have everyone's seen the picture of the barbershop and how it looks like 2K. Um, they have they have entertainment centers. They play golf. They fish. Like I, I don't think there's any reason to to loosen up, but I don't think we will. I'd be very surprised if we did. Uh, but you never know who might complain. You know, that's the thing. You never know if someone feels like they're they've been down there for three weeks and the playoffs are starting and they feel like they need more uh, to create more levity as they get to the postseason. But I think we'll keep things the same because it's what's the, the expression: if it ain't broke, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So. We're in that camp right now. Makes makes total sense. Uh, so you mentioned it about a little bit before. Uh, the complaints about the food. Um, obviously, it was like the first two days. Um, you know, the players were tweeting about it, Instagramming it, and whatnot. Obviously, the league needed to get certain precautions and measures in to have, like, the chefs come in and all that kind of stuff. But... What influence in terms of speeding that process up did, I guess, the, uh, for lack of a better word, the public shaming of the players, uh, how, how quickly did that lead to uh, the league getting its act together on, like, the food situation and whatnot? Well, it, it didn't have any impact because a lot of the guys didn't tweet or share the full meals. I don't know why they did that. Uh, I can't speak to what they're thinking. But I think the first one came out uh, from Troy Daniels. Daniels, he left his protein out of the meal which is like a giant piece of chicken and a piece of salmon like it's i don't know what his point was trying to be but then you have other guys tweeting saying like our meals are fine so we just stuck with the plan which was always going to be the first couple of days of quarantine they're going to be boxed meals that, that might not look great but the quality of food is fine it's a lot of food i mean we went to if we went to disney on our own and we got a free we got three meals every day that were that time we'd be, we'd be thrilled about it like it's these guys are accustomed to different things. And really what we took out of it, uh, and I think they players union as well took out of it. The players look bad complaining about some food and hotel rooms. They got a lot of blowback because these are for the most part, very wealthy guys playing basketball, just spending time at Disney and what could be the safest, safest bubble type atmosphere they're going to find. So fans aren't happy to see, you know, someone who makes $9 million a year complaining about a decent hotel room or so, we, we just stuck the course. I mean, I, if we panicked, I think that would have been bad, but we, we knew what was on the way. Um, and, we, and we did a good job of kind of getting that message out there in terms of what was going to come meal-wise and from all the chefs that all the chefs that are down there and all the options they'll have. Like, uh, it's really amazing. Like, I'm jealous. I want to be down there getting that kind of food. Well, you and me both. Uh, how, so how annoyed on a scale of 1 to 10 was the league office when, like, Rondo tweets out his room saying Motel 6 and that kind of thing. Initially, let's say on the meals, like a seven. Like mm-hmm. it was annoying. Rondo, though, we, there was not a lot of anger because it just immediately you could tell it was going to make him look bad. Like that room, right. was, that room was a totally fine room for 90% of the population. It's We were just, we don't want the players to look bad, but at the end of the day, we can't control their actions. So we knew it wouldn't reflect poorly on us. So for the room, I'd say like a two, more like an annoyance. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, do you really need to put this on Instagram? Yeah. But 
for me, it'll definitely send off, send off a little bit of an alarm. Well, shout out to Damian Lillard, who seemed to have gotten uh, the presidential suite in one of the hotels. Uh, <laughs> up. Well, when you're Damian Lillard, you, you kind of deserve it. Uh, the one thing I'm the most interested in, the snitch hotline, the quote-unquote snitch hotline. I need details. What can you tell me and the listeners about the snitch hotline? How often do calls come in? Are any of them prank calls to try and get superstars in trouble? I need answers. So from my understanding, and I don't have too much info on this, is that it hasn't been very active. Um, there haven't been many calls. I haven't heard of a prank call. I feel like uh, I've been at the NBA long enough where if someone in my department had heard about a prank call, they would tell me immediately because they're, I'd want to know. Um, so I don't think if, if there has been prank calls, they haven't, haven't, haven't been that good. Um, but from my understanding, like I think Dwight, there was really a call about Dwight and we got like a little ping about that. Uh, I got an email about that. But other than, I, I, don't, I don't really think people are using it or have felt the need to use it. Um, what's interesting is that if something, if an NBA employee sees something, they just, they just tell their direct report. So that the hotline wouldn't be used for staff uh, other than players, really. But uh, it's, I would love to be able to hear more in terms of who's calling, but I don't think they're using it that often. I think it's a little, it's a little disappointing to, to know that they're, it's not being used as a kind of a practical joke sense. It's, everyone's taking this so seriously. It's, I feel like people are maybe waiting to, to be treated a little lighter. I mean, NBA Twitter, if they would have a, you know, they have a field day with everything, with uh, the this league stuff. Like, could you imagine if somehow the NBA allowed this? And, and they never would, but like, have like a live cam on the snitch hotline to see like who, like how many times it rings. Oh my God, that'd be just unbelievable. The problem is I don't know if players would uh, want to call that because there goes the anonymous factor you could some of these guys voice like if lebron calls you know it's him like they have to map disguise their voice like a, <laughs> i couldn't imagine them doing that but i think if, if like that's the thing if i'm a player and i'm and i think i'm going to call and do something funny why not just like have a teammate video me on instagram live doing it probably think it's hysterical but i don't think i've seen that yet i don't think that's happened yet it's it's good that they're taking it seriously like this but it's also kind of disappointing because, like, I wish there was, like, a little bit of drama with the snitch hotline, which, by the way, it, say what you want about the name, but, like, it's such a catchy name. You know, it, it just – everything about this is great. I, I mean well, – that For I the mean, record, that wasn't a name given to it by the NBA. <laughs> right. This is – yes, this was uh, – <laughs> who who dubbed it the snitch hotline? Was it Was it NBA Twitter? Like, who was it? Was it Rob Perez? I have no idea. I've heard Gobert say it, but he was probably late to the game. Um, I don't know. Probably tw- I'd give Twitter credit at some point. I don't know who, who came up with it. it. It my bet is on worldwide Wob. But if it was uh if it was uh Gobert, I mean Gobert's not necessarily rightfully or wrongfully so in, in the greatest uh gracious uh uh with the league. Um Yeah, but he doesn't know that. He thinks he's all dandy. <laughs> yeah, well um so I was listening to a couple of podcasts and like Brian Windhorst brought this up there. There seems to be um, the media is having a gripe in terms of like transparency of information that's being passed. Uh, They don't necessarily want to know why a given player is, is probably late to the bubble or or why he has to leave or why not. But, but they do want to know 
I guess, who's there at the current, you know, moment in time. Now, does the league really care about, um, you know, the the transparency of this type of information? I mean, given the fact that it is uh, the media partners who are a big part of the uh, the revenue, like, is the league going to try and be more transparent about it? Or are they just going to be like, this is what you get? Sorry. Well, at the beginning, I mean, there was nothing really we could do. We could encourage it, but it's the teams are the ones who are kind of shielding people from whether they're there or not. We, you know, we, we knew who's there or not because we had rosters submitted to us and they're now public. I mean, they went public, I think yesterday or two days ago. Um, so the roster should reflect who's there, who's not there. I'd assume if a team has someone who's there or not on their roster, um, they would probably get in a little bit of trouble. But when they first arrived, I think there was a sensitivity to if someone had the virus or if someone was dealing with something family related about their virus. So you don't want to be the guy who comes into the bubble even though you test negative, but someone finds out, you know, your brother or your mother had coronavirus, you know, you get, you can get looked at a certain way. Um, and I think coaches and GMs and, and such were just protecting the, their players because that's generally what they do. They don't, they don't want to, as much as we don't want to rub the players the wrong way, they don't want, you know, they don't want someone leaving over the fact that, you know, they, you know, this team treated me terribly while I was down in the bubble and now I'm a free agent. I'm going to go elsewhere. So, uh, we tried to help with it, but ultimately the teams are once the, they don't have to do anything until they have to declare their roster. So uh, it was pretty interesting to see guys being not talked about. You don't really have a lot of press conferences when you know someone asked Doc Rivers about one of the Morris twins, and he's like, "I'm not going to talk about it." Like that, that was that was a little odd. It, it made for a good NBA Twitter hot moment, but uh, you know things are things are definitely more transparent now. And and we in terms of our information and what we get. Uh, we try to be as transparent as we can. Um, you know, there's a little bureaucracy that goes on that prevents it sometimes, but they're pretty good about it. I'd say I was expecting when I started working at the NBA, it'd be like a bunch of secrets kept, but nobody, nobody knew. But I gotta say, I'm disappointed in, in anything like that. Um, one, one other question. Uh, in terms of uh, players coming and going, obviously we've had, you know, like, for example, like the Denver Nuggets, right? That they, they played their game today. They're missing, like, five guys, five, six guys. Uh, like, their entire backcourt's gone. Zion Williamson left the bubble, had to cut, is is coming back. Is Are these teams under any sort of, like, deadline in terms of, like, submitting a roster for, like, who's actually there? Or is it just, like, a rolling thing? And because and the rosters were expanded anyway, it doesn't really matter. Like, what's the protocol well, there in terms of... Well, these guys... I assume, I mean, I haven't, I honestly didn't really look too much at the rosters released because we were, it wasn't stressed as important to us. But I assume if you look at the Pelicans roster, Zion's still on there. Right, of um, course. I'm saying, and that limits your replacement players in terms of who you can put on there. So I, I'd be interested to see what the Denver roster looks like. They're missing a lot of guys, but they, you probably don't have to declare rosters again until playoffs, from my understanding. So there's definitely, I mean, it's a unique time. We're going to, we're going to give these guys as much wiggle room as they can. You know, you know, someone has something really bad in their family happen. They gotta be able to deal with it. Think about it. Think about if it's not a bubble. You know, Zion has to deal with family stuff. He's probably missing a game or two down the stretch right. in New Orleans or whenever they're playing. So it's kind of the same deal. They just instead of coming back and playing right away, they have to quarantine and get some negative test results before they can come back. Well, I heard today that Zion's been, you know, tested every single day. Um, the the Pelicans have put out the press release. He's being tested every single day, and that that will limit his, I guess, quarantine time in his room, you know, if, if all the tests are always negative, I mean, that, that, that should make sense. I mean, 
you know, this, yeah. I know you want yeah. to have protocols in place, but like if the guy's negative and he, and he gets there and he's negative, like he shouldn't have to quarantine in his room for an extra like five days or so. That wouldn't be yeah, nice. I mean, I think it'll be like two to four days. But he's really testing every day, and I think that's why they put the release out because uh, it's an odd release to put out, but it does put a little pressure on the league to maybe, you know, they want him back as soon as they can, not just for their ratings for for their local networks, but also they're trying to make the playoffs, and he's arguably their best, one of the top two players. So, uh, yeah, by the way, we'll that's see. not ar- that's not arguable. He he is their best player already. I, I, don't, I don't know. I, uh, Brandon Ingram could be, could still have the argument for being their best player right right now. He's, he's a little empty calorie stats for me, but that's, uh, a, a, that's, 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 that's insulting to, uh, to Mr. Ingram and Drew Holiday. You know, they're not, they're not nothing. I like Drew Holiday. I like Drew Holiday. Just <laughs> Zion, Zion, Zion's a, Zion's a top like 15 five player games? in the NBA. <laughs> he's played five games or something. Let's, let's, uh, let's pull it back. Did you did you notice um did you notice speaking of the Denver Nuggets and, and all their absences did you notice who they started today did you That's see Bo their Bo. starting lineup yes they're also right out of 2K Bo Bo sighting uh, and he played well I looked at the stats and I watched some of the video he uh he definitely looks slow but he's huge and he can really shoot he's seven four he had six blocks I think like sixteen points but they started him at the three. Jokic was yeah. their starting point guard, and yeah. Jeremy Grant was the starting two guard. Yeah, I mean that's a fun lineup, to be honest. Like, I'm ha- I'd be happy to watch that through the through the resumption of play, but uh, it'll probably change, I think, a little bit. It's good to see Bobo getting some run, and I'd like to see hopefully Michael Porter keep playing well. They're they're a very interesting well, he's not, team he's, moving past this year. He's not there yet, Porter. No, right. I, I'm not sure he's what not his there deal yet. is yet. He's just a guy I'd like to. I don't know yes. exactly. I would very much like to see him play too. But if um, they've got something with Bull Bull and him, that's a long team. Yeah. Yeah. I, I still don't think they're winning a first round series. <laughs> that's well, well, yeah, well, depends uh, who they play. That the the West from three to seven is is extremely interesting. Like I, you can make the case that the Three and the four seed are the worst of those five teams. Yeah, you definitely can. That at least in this scenario, like who, who knows if all the teams are going to play up to what they should in this in this bubble scenario. So I really think outside of like teams like Brooklyn and Orlando and maybe like the Pacers, I think it's anyone's game. I think we're going to be in for some interesting basketball, to say the least. Well, that would be awesome for the league. Uh, one last thing before I let you go. Um, obviously, we've spoken on this podcast about baseball a lot. Baseball's actually back. Are you prepared for a 25-win Red Sox team? I honestly wouldn't see that so bad considering what their rotation is and who they're playing. I mean, I will say I do expect, based on what I've seen, I expect to bounce back years for Ben Tendi, uh For Ben Tendi. I think he'll have a nice year. And I just don't know what I don't know what we'll see from their pitching if they get anything. I I don't know. I mean, this year is going to be. You know, I have, I think I'm on the Reds bandwagon. If they, I'm not rooting for the Reds outside of the Red Sox. <laughs> uh, and today was a rough day as well, seeing the Mookie Betts contract uh, and that he isn't going to come back in the off season. Uh, so oh, I'm going to go with the Reds. You were you were actually holding out hope that that Mookie Betts was going to resign with the Red Sox. Uh. Not real hope, but I figured I might as well. 
I could talk myself into anything with Mookie Betts, to be honest. <laughs> Listen, I'm a Knicks fan. I know what it's like to talk yourself into things that you just know are not going to come true. But anyway, uh, Phil, it's always great to talk to you. Um, by the way, uh, so you're going, um, you're you're slated to go down to Orlando. When are you yep. going? August 18th, so September 3rd. That would be the first two rounds of the playoffs. So assuming this all goes as planned, I'll be down there and I'll be running as fast as I can through the Orlando airport so I do not contract anything. Not just coronavirus, just anything. Well, just just wear a mask. Wear a mask. I'm going to run. I'm going to burst right through that. That's awesome. I'm so jealous. I, honestly, the bubble looks amazing. It really looks like an awesome time. Oh, one last thing. One last thing. Does the league... Are, are they starting to get a little pissed off about the uh, the beer chugging challenges and the uh, the shotgunning challenges, or are no. they uh, just letting that slide and like this is good fun? They can do whatever they want, you know. They're uh, they're it's their championship goal, you know. Uh, <laughs> but we haven't really had any kind of feedback in terms of that. I think we're just we're trying to get to the first game, play first day of games and deal with the outside noise that comes in, regardless of what it's about. And we, we just want, we want normalcy like everyone else does. Like, uh, we do a report every morning where we have the game scores and you have, you know, performances of guys from the night before. We never did it for preseason, but it'll be in there for scrimmages because, you know, it's a sense of normalcy. So we'll be happy to do that. Unbelievable. I, I really can't stress how impressive um, I think it is what the NBA pulled off. I mean, we've spoken about it uh, a bunch of times on this show, just in terms of how meticulous the details were, the 100-page report or something. And and now that you saw product on TV today, like, we've debated the – yeah. And we've and we've debated, you know, Adam Silver over the last couple of weeks. Uh, there are certain things that, you know, I, I don't like that he's done. There are certain things that I do like that he's done. But you can't you cannot argue that he, um, you know, along with the Players Association, everybody involved, we're we're just we're all in on this. And and it's awesome. And as you know, observer, as somebody who's been pining for NBA basketball again, like, I'm thrilled that it's back. I, I can't stress how how thrilled I am that that we had exhibition games on today. It's unbelievable. And you get, and you, get you get a week of baseball that holds you over until it starts. So oh. it all it all really starts tomorrow night. Sensory sensory overload. My brain is going to explode, and it's going to be so welcome. Anyway, Phil, it's always great to talk to you. Um, I'm sure we're going to speak a lot over the last co- next couple of weeks, and um, we're going to have to. Uh, have you on again um, when you're down there? We're gonna have to sure, uh, yeah. get uh, get a field report. It's gonna it's great and and really congratulations to the league. The league office deserves a tremendous amount of credit. Thank you. I did almost nothing, but I'll take it. <laughs> kick 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 it upstairs. So maybe I can uh, I can get a show on NBA TV. Uh, let's let's get to the bubble. <laughs> I'll speak to you, man. Let's always always a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you. Have a good I, night. I, Okay, uh, I mentioned it a little bit earlier. Uh, part two of our, our interview series tonight. First time guest. Uh, I have the pleasure of playing tennis with his father regularly, and he still beats me, even though he's twenty years my senior. Uh, we're gonna talk a little Yankees. Uh, Mr. Andrew Sender making his uh, podcast debut. Andrew, what's cracking? Nothing, man. You know, excited. Got you know baseball coming back tomorrow. Can't wait for it. Awesome. So let's jump right in. So level of 
one to ten. No, 60-game season. How stoked are you for this season? Um, I'm at a 10 because I think this weight is really, you know, it's got, you know, everything's cooking. I'm really excited for baseball to return. And I think this 60-game schedule will bring the best out of every single player on the field, hands down, out of any other season. So if – let's just jump ahead. Let's see, you know, a, a big if. If the Yankees were to win the World Series – would you, as a fan, treat it um, as a normal World Series championship, or would you be like, ah, this was like kind of weird, you know, discredited a little bit? Like, ha- how would you feel? So I'm kind of in the middle because I do think baseball is a sport of where it's the long haul. You know, you're playing 162 games. No league is even close to that number, and it's a lot, you know? The best teams will always be in October because any team could go on a a 30-game stretch and win, but you got to do that for 162 games. So it does change the dynamic a little bit. You might see some surprise teams in the postseason this year, and that can take away the the credit, really, for maybe some of the bigger teams, like the Yankees, if they have to maybe face the Blue Jays in the first round and the wild card or something. You know, that doesn't seem as good as maybe playing the Red Sox or the Astros. So that could happen in the 60-game sprint. So I'm not so... I don't believe that this is going to be like a real World Series. I think it'll definitely feel awesome if they do win, but it definitely won't be the same feeling after playing 162 games. I'm kind of with you on this. On the one hand, um, the longevity thing uh, is definitely a major test of you know the baseball will the season is definitely like a grind and there's something to be said for that but you know what everybody's in the same situation uh we haven't won since uh 2009 i'll welcome a championship any way i can get it it's hard to win it's hard to win in any circumstance so but i i do believe that this yankee team has you know is built uh, to be exceedingly special and would have had an unbelievably special year um, if they played a normal 162. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I, um, any major concerns? Obviously, the Yankees uh, are are tied with the Dodgers in terms of being the betting favorites uh, to win the World Series at plus 375. What's your biggest concern for this team? Um, I think it's mostly the start the the, the second half of the starting pitching. I mean, we've seen Hap and Montgomery have looked unbelievable throughout the first spring training and the second spring training. They've looked, both of them look great. And it scares me a little because every year we see this out of some guys and then they end up almost just not performing really in the regular season. And especially with this much pressure on them to perform because we're going to need five good starts every time around, really. We got to win every game. That's just, you know, it's a 60-game sprint. So that is the one thing that worries me. But other than that, our hitting is fantastic. The field is good. The bullpen is good. You can't really ask for more except just, you know, good quality starts out of the uh, the bottom half of the starting rotation. So we're, hold that thought for one second. Um, any concerns in terms of, of the everyday lineup um, as it, in terms of it being too right-handed, hitter-heavy? Um, too power heavy because one of the things uh, that was so awesome to watch last year and obviously you don't root for injuries but when when Stanton went down um, and they were playing uh, uh, Talkman and left 
and they had, you know, some dudes who weren't just, you know, standing in the right-handed batter's box trying to hit home runs, right? They had a more balanced lineup in terms of, you know, going first to third. They did a couple of small things a little bit more than they did the year before, which was painful to watch in the playoffs when they lost the Red Sox, when they were just standing in the batter's box and struck out. There, there's no no concern in terms of just like having a balanced lineup. Well, when it comes to the lineup, I hope obviously no one knows yet, but I hope that Aaron Boone looks at the lineup and looks at a guy like Talkman and and Mike Ford, two guys who put up unbelievable at bats every time they walk into the batter's box, and they should be on the team. I think guys like Clint Frazier are just extra guys that have power and strikeout from the right from the right side, which. We have too many of, which I can definitely agree. And um, hopefully we can see guys like Ford and Talkman be in the lineup on a regular basis because we need left-handed, left-handed batters in Yankee Stadium with the short porch out there. It's, it's valuable. We've seen it every year. This is something that I've been on. Um, I've been on this kick uh, regarding the Yankees for a while. They, I, I think that they missed the window for trading Clint Frazier. Um, I think they missed the window for trading Miguel Andujar. Uh, I, I just, every time that those guys aren't in the starting lineup, they lose value. And like, they've both proven to be major league caliber hitters, but there's just no spots for them, you know, given the positions that they play and, and their defense. Like, I wouldn't want Andujar playing over um, Urshela because Having a guy with that glove at the hot corner is beautiful. And, like, are you going to sit Aaron Judge? No. Clint Frazier's not playing center. Uh, Stanton's going to get the majority of the at-bats at at designated hitter. Like, where is he playing? So, for Frazier, uh, he's a lost cause. And I've I've always said this, that they missed their window. I agree. They should have traded him two years ago when he was at his peak value. And yeah, he's not going to get he's not going to get um, at bats this year. He won't beat out Judge, and they're not going to give Judge a day off here and there like they did last year because it's sixty games. So these guys won't get as many opportunities. But for Miguel Andujar, what makes him so special even now is everyone knows he's got a bat, and everyone knows he's a little shaky at third. But over these last couple months, watching him train in the outfield, watching even in the um, the three um, warm up games they played. He looked great in the outfield. He had one hiccup, but he looked really good. He was throwing over his shoulder, something that was a huge problem at third base. He kept throwing sidearm, and he was throwing all over the place. But he looked good in the outfield, and his bat is just too good to not want. You can put him at a DH if another team were to take him. But, yes, I do think they should probably look into training both of them, by hopefully by the end of the year, because I think Urshela is definitely the Yankee third baseman for the next, hopefully, five years or so. So we touched on the pitching staff um, a little bit before. You mentioned that that was well, one of your main concerns, the back half of the rotation. In terms of handling pitching staff, if you were the manager, right, would you go four starters and try and, you know, maximize the Cole-Tanaka uh, starts? Um, or would you and sort of rely on the bullpen, get, considering that it is a sprint? Or would you go the five-man rotation? So. For me, I like the five man only because we have we have a good a good rotation. The second half can be shaky, but if Mon- if Montgomery pitches like we've seen him pitch last couple of weeks, that's great. Half the same thing, but I think 
for Cole and Tanaka, I think it should be if they throw one game of 40 pitches, three innings, and they got rocked, I'm going to tell him, you know what? I want you out there three days, three days later because you only pitch 40 pitches and you're only right. getting 12 starts. But for them to do four, star, four starters, it would put way too much pressure on the bullpen, and we don't have a lot of guys that can go multiple innings at an effective pace. So I like the five starters almost as an insurance, and I do think the Yankees are good enough to get to the postseason with five, and from there we can go to a three. We can, you, know, you can mix it around once you get to the postseason. But that's the main goal right now, just get to the postseason. And with the five, man, you save more people, and you're just you're fresh when you're in the postseason. That's what matters. And also, because uh, I tend to agree with you, but one thing to consider is that this year we are implement. You know, baseball is implementing the um, the minimum batter rule for relievers. So it's not like there's going to be the constant tinkering. Guys are going to have to you know pitch to a certain number of hitters. There's no like one and done anymore. Well, yeah, I agree. I think that's where. Um... One guy I think is in a really tough spot is Jonathan Holder, a guy that pitches really well against right-handed at bat, right-handed batters, but really struggles against the lefties. And you take a guy like Clark Schmidt, who's a young, hungry pitcher, and he can throw multiple innings. There's going to be a lot of you know moving around with the roster, and that rule will definitely be a huge factor this year because if you on a normal year without the three man you'd probably waste a couple pitchers a game. This year, you're not going to want to do that. You're going to want to keep guys fresh so they can go out every single day. You don't want Kainley throwing two innings this year. You want to throw in one inning, get the next guy in, and have him pitching tomorrow. Yeah, I, it's going to be interesting how um, how Boone manages this team. Uh, last question before I let you go. Uh, so uh, Vegas set the over-under at 33-and-a-half wins, which – it's really funny if you think about it because, like, you're going to look at the historical records um, and see uh, the Yankees went 40 and 21 year, 40 wins in a season, and and just in comparison to every other year, which is 162 games, it's going to look so out of place. Um, over under 33 and a half wins for the Yanks this year. So I thought they were really lowballing it because. I understand why it's it's tough because it's baseball. It's this is really new to us. We don't know how players are going to handle it. We don't know which team is going to be hot. So I get the thirty three and a half number, but this is the New York Yankees that's playing in primetime baseball. I can't see them winning less than thirty eight, thirty seven games. That's my mark. Thirty seven and a half. They're going to go over. 33 and a half, no doubt in my mind. They play the Orioles too many times. They play the Blue Jays too many times. They play the Red Sox too many times, who are really not that good, especially after losing bets in price. They're, the division's really weak, and the NL East is fairly weak. They're in a different league than every team in this league, except for the Astros and the Dodgers. So there's only three teams that are in their own league. The oh, Nationals, that, that the was Nationals. a fluke. No, nah, it was a fluke. It was a fluke. It was a horribly managed series by A.J. Hinch, and he ends up getting fired the next year for other reasons, but I do I completely disagree with the way he handled those games. The fact that Garrett Cole was sitting in the bullpen in Game 7 of the World Series is just mind-blowing to me. Well, it just means he's going to be more fresh for our beloved New York Yankees. But I wouldn't sleep yeah. on the Nationals. I mean, Juan Soto is awesome. 
You know, Scherzer's still awesome. They've got, you know, good pitching. Um, but I, I do agree that the number was a little low, uh, considering how many games are going to be against the uh, the Orioles and the um, – oh, but the Phillies aren't bad. Uh, they're they're going to be the hit or miss team this year. They might They might win 35 games and they might win 25 games because every single player on that roster has their really hot days and then has their really, really cold days. We've seen it with Harper. We've seen it with Didi over the last couple of years. He can be really, really hot, and he can be really, really cold. So, they're, for me, it's, oh, yeah, go ahead. it's 35 or 25 for them. I hear you. I hear you. Well, um, well, uh, you can go to New Jersey and put your money where – well, not not you personally, but you can have your dad do it for you <laughs> because uh, there, are, there are rules to this. Uh, Andrew, last question. Last, last question. Are you paying for a cutout to put you in the front row at the Legend Seats for Yankee Stadium? Am I am I trying to get to a game? Oh, no. Are, are, are you going to have the cardboard cutout like they did so, in City Field? Are you doing it? I no, I'm not doing that. I I don't want to see myself in a cardboard <laughs> shape. It would just make me upset knowing that. My face is sitting at Yankee Stadium, and I'm not. So there's no way I can put my face in a cardboard box sitting there. Uh, yeah. Uh, I just I, I was watching the game. Uh, I peeked in a little bit, and to see that a couple of the cutouts at City Field made me chuckle a little bit. And and I've seen highlights of the Korean Baseball League, or yeah, yeah, it's weird, <laughs> like SpongeBob <laughs> and like all that. It's pretty funny, but yeah, uh, I'm. Super excited uh, for first pitch tomorrow night. It's going to be awesome. This team has a chance to be really, really special. And, yeah, uh, I would say over 33.5 is a lock. And uh, we'll see you in the World Series. Oh, yeah. Andrew, this was a pleasure. How do you think you did for your uh, debut? I think you handled yourself pretty well. Yeah, I guess so. I haven't haven't answered questions on sports in probably six months. So hopefully it wasn't too bad. You, you did great. We'll have to bring you back on uh, during the middle of the season. Um, and we'll, um, we'll re-up then when we have something to talk about regarding the Yanks, uh, as opposed to just yeah. a preview. Of course. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks again. Uh, have And have a great rest of the evening. Uh, good stuff for your first time. Really good. Thank you. Thank you. Right, I'll speak to you. All right. Speak to you. Thanks again uh, to recurring guest Phil Bowsk. Uh, always great to talk to him about the NBA and uh, and Mr. Andrew Sender making his debut. Uh, did a pretty good job for his debut. Wasn't that nervous? Sounded good to talk a little Yankees baseball. That's episode 82 for the love of the game. Sports are back. Take us out. Mike check one two one two one two. Mike check one two one is this? Santana's back to business. Let's go. Mike check one two one two check. Mike check one two one two check. Mike check one two one is this? Santana's back to business. Let's go. Look, homie. Quick, homie. Quick, get a camera, get a flick. Yes, get a load of this, homie. I spit, homie. The flow so sick, homie. Once again, I'm back. This is it, homie. The album's done, which mean the album's coming. Spend a while, but this time around, I'm fronting. I done styled and studded. I done wild in public. I done paid my dues, did my hundred miles and running. Now I'm back.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.